welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker, and today I have a special guest, Ms. Aaliyah Horton. She's a counseling psychology doctoral candidate at Auburn University, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the state of mental health in prisons today. So, Ms. Aaliyah, jump on in and introduce yourself, and let's get this thing going. Yes, thank you, Joe. Um... So yes, uh, my name is Aaliyah Horton, and I am uh, a mental health counselor. I've been doing um, counseling for about six years now, and I'm very happy to be here today to talk to Joe about what mental health is like in prison. Uh, I don't know if you want to kind of just start briefly by just sharing, you know, your perspective of how mental health has been since you've been there. Okay. Uh, well, now personally, I haven't uh, had uh, the the uh, any any mental health counseling in here, uh, but I do know a lot of people that have. Uh, I used to be what they call an inmate observer, and an inmate observer in prison, in, particularly in Tennessee, is someone that uh, volunteers. Well, you get paid to, but you volunteer as a second job to watch and observe other inmates that have attempted or said they would like to commit suicide. So what we would do, we'll sit and watch them at four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day, to make sure that they don't. And if they attempt to, then we'll notify the nurse and security, and then they come and they do what they have to do. And during that time, I have had, I'll say, the privilege of being able to talk to some of these guys about their experiences and what they've gone through and, and how the counseling and the therapy and stuff like that works with them with them. And and I'm I'm um in some instances I'm really ashamed to say that uh it's it's just pitiful some of the mm. things that they have told me that they go through. Um yeah, it's it's like they, they, they do these treatments, um, teams and counselors where they go in individually, but they'll have other people in the room. And they talk to them about their problems in front of other people. And sometimes in, in group counseling, other inmates. And it's some of the most uh, private types of conversations, but they they have to answer the questions. So a lot of them have told me that they don't feel comfortable discussing what they really need to discuss because they're afraid that, you know, that type of information is going to be used by another inmate or staff person might go out and tell people what's being discussed in there, you really don't get that freedom to be able to express how you really feel and, and to be able to get the help that you t that you need. And that's that's one of the issues that uh, that I've been personally familiar with with these guys in here. It's, it's really a sad situation, but I also can speak to uh, some of the situations where guys have told me that it worked. It has helped them, you know. I know this one guy that he's a cutter, and let me explain what that is. It's, um, he cuts on himself. And this particular guy, he cuts his stomach open, right? And it's a horrible thing to watch and see when they're doing that. But this one guy, uh, he's a young guy. I think he's around 27. I'm not going to say his name. Uh, but he's been one of the success stories. They mm -hmm. were actually able to get him uh, back to where he can end up going to another prison and be in general population. And he had been doing this to himself for years. I mean, six or seven years. And now he's, he's I'm going to use the word functioning. 
you know, because that's what they say in here. He's he's functioning and without, you know, uh, the supervision that they require in the mental health unit and doing yeah. great, you know. Yeah, so that's just a brief, you know what I'm saying, uh, about the experience that I've had, you know. Right. And that's, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so you you mentioned that like um, some of the experiences that other inmates have told you about, you know, they'll be having treatment and someone else will be there watching. Is this like another? Yeah. Who is this yeah, person? Okay, to be like other security staff, you know, because in prison um, there is no privacy. So, like, you have, sometimes you have one-on-one counseling, but it all depends on the security level of right. the particular inmate. If the inmate is minimum restricted, then, or non-threatening or non-violent, then that, that individual will be one-on-one with the counselor. See, they got different stages that they have to go through. You know, you come in, you go to the, the initial phases, like the acute floor, and that's where people have actually threatened or actually have tried to hurt themselves. Then they work, work their way from there, and then they end up on another floor where you're a little lower level. They've learned to trust you. You're not trying to hurt yourself. And then from there, you go to another floor where they get, you get a little bit more privilege. And then you finally, in the last phase of it, where you can actually come out and go to child and walk around and go to the gym and stuff like that. So it depends on what level you're on. And now all of that is going to determine if there's somebody in the room with you when you're getting counseling. You know, like they got like what they call treatment teams. And mm-hmm. when they do treatment, you know, they got to have, because that's, that's the initial phase when they're on the floor where they've tried to hurt themselves. They got two or three people from security and I mean in the offices. Uh, you got counselors. It might be eight other people in there. You know, and all of them are professionals now. All of them are professionals and the nurses. But the guys that I've talked to said they don't feel comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. sharing some of that information like that. And they, and they just refuse to participate, you know? Okay. They refuse to participate. And then in the, depending on what phase you're in, where you are out in another unit or another area of the building, the same building, they'll receive group counseling. And even in that environment where they have, it might be, you know, however many inmates are in that same situation, they'll all be in there together talking about whatever and the guys that have talked to me, they don't feel comfortable sharing in front of other guys because that information, just keeping it 100, you know, people are using it against you. You know, you can talk about some real serious stuff and, you know, how you feel and all that, and you just can't do that in here. Just can't. Right, right. You know, yeah. And you mentioned that, um, you know, you haven't had counseling since you've been there. So how do they determine who can have treatment and who doesn't like if if you request that is that something that you can get you can you can request it now but when you initially come into the system they do an assessment on you and they determine you know what security level you are and they, they also determine what mental health level you're on you know and i think they got it like levels one through five and like one is the lowest meaning somebody can function one and two they they'll be on the compound and just in general population, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Now, three and up, three to five, you're going to be in some kind of mental health program or mental health mm-hmm. unit. You know, like four and five are the guys that I was talking about earlier, the, the people that are in the most serious part of the the mental health treatment program and all of that. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but they, they do those assessments when you come in. But when I first came in, uh, they may have done an assessment on me about that, but I don't remember it. And I've never uh, received any counseling. Like when you go for your, like your yearly medical checkup, they'll ask you, do you have anything going on? Do you want to talk to somebody? Or when you get your annual reclass, and an annual reclass is just what, once a year, they'll, the counselors in the union, they'll call you in and just talk to you about, you know, staying at the institution that you had, any programs they might want you to take. And at that time, they'll ask you, is there anything going on mentally that we need to be aware of so we can try to get you some help and so on and so forth, right? But okay. quite honestly, like I said before, um, it's not, it sounds good on paper. Let's just put right, it that way. Right. You know what I'm saying? It sounds yeah. good on paper. And, and it's good that they'll ask, but nothing really good comes from that, you know, in my opinion. Um, you can you can say, yeah, I need some help, this, that, or the third. And you might get to talk to somebody once or twice or whatever, but to get really deep into it, it's yeah. hard because we all know the people that are involved in that. And it's like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to go see Dr. Such and Such or talk to the therapist Such and Such because right. you know, they're they trying to... They, hit you with the needle and put, you know, and I'm sure a lot of that is just propaganda that's spread through the prison. We call it, you know what I'm saying, inmate.com, you know, but uh, it's scary. And I'm, yeah, you, you, and there's still some to it because it's people's experience, right? It seems like, it seems like the treatment is only available if you're experiencing like severe symptoms or, um, you know, symptoms that are, in hindering your ability to function if you're functioning decently it's almost kind of like you know you're you're okay you're okay that's right that's exactly right hit that right on the head and that's you know what's scary right right i was uh i'll give you an example i'm gonna give you an example i was watching uh his name i always say his name wrong so if i say it wrong you'll know who i'm talking about i don't want i don't mean to say his name wrong. jesse smollett uh-huh. He's an actor, uh, and he played on Empire. But anyway, at his uh, sentencing the other day I saw on television, you know, the judge said he was a narcissist and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And all of these types of things. Now, honestly, I did not know until yesterday I was talking to my sister about this. And I asked her, I said, is narcissism a mental health issue? And she was like, yes, that's in the DSM, right? And I'm like, what? I didn't know that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And I'm like, What's the treatment? And she said, well, there are no medications for this talk therapy, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that blew me away, right? And I got to thinking, there are more people in prison that I know. And I've, I've been here for 30 plus years. I've met literally thousands of people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And there are more people here that are like, well, let me back up. What fascinated me about uh, his situation was, now, I don't know if he's innocent or guilty. I know what the evidence said as far as the, the jury trial or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if he is, in fact, guilty, I was watching how when he walked out, he kept saying he was innocent, he didn't do this, and all of these other things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I get that. But it, it hit me while I was watching. I said, well, if he is innocent, what is it that makes him stick to that story? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Why does he hold on to that? And I got to thinking about it. There are more people in here like him than, like, let's say the Unabomber. You feel what I'm saying? Right, right. And, and And they're not even addressing. <laughs> they're not right. even addressing that from a mental health standpoint. And I'm like, that's the problem. If they right. were addressing 
the people that in general population, uh, we might be able to do something about this for citizens. Exactly. You know, so yeah, and, that, and that's what I think. You know, is is something that's missing about the approach to dealing with mental health in prison. Now, I don't know what you do about it. Well, I mean, what could you do about something like that? Well, I I want to share my perspective as a mental health worker in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I worked in, it was a county jail, um, okay. but, you know, there were a lot of similarities that I noticed. And so mm-hmm. um, a lot of the presenting concerns that people who are incarcerated have had, from my experience, mm-hmm. you get a lot of depression and anxiety, a lot of childhood trauma or just mm-hmm. environmental and family trauma and stressors, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. trauma and impact from just being involved in the criminal justice system in general. And then you have a lot of personality disorders, right? Because I, I think, uh, I think, you know, jails and prisons are really like where they're like funneling people who really need mental health treatment, you know, instead of being, you know, incarcerated, they need treatment and resources. And so, you get a lot of people who have personality disorders. So you were talking about narcissism. The reason why it's so difficult to treat is because it is a personality disorder where like okay. it's really hard to pinpoint until you have actually talked to someone for a while and understand the way they think and the way they make decisions and the way they make sense of their emotions. And so mm-hmm. there's not a medication for it. You know, it, 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 oh, it's a lifelong like process treatment is is a is a process and so when i was working in the jail i noticed that you know since we're so limited in resources right you know there may have been for the whole jail there was a psychiatrist a nurse practitioner a psychologist and then two therapists myself and another one and so you know we were stretched so thin, a lot of our time had to be devoted to people who were in severe mental health crises, right? Mm-hmm. People who were severely psychotic or who were very suicidal. And so, you know, when I was doing my individual counseling with um, people who maybe their symptoms weren't as severe, but they were still dealing with real mental health issues, you know, I, I would see them once every two weeks. Right. You have a, 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 a session once every two weeks. Even still, I don't feel like that's enough. But also right. there were only two therapists for the entire jail. And in the midst of us doing therapy once a week with, you know, let's say I had maybe about 20 people on my caseload at one time. Mm-hmm. Our schedules kept getting pushed back because there would be a crisis that happens or, you know, we would get someone um you know when you first come into the jail you get that initial uh screening you know similar to what you were to figure out you know where you should be placed and so the resources are just not they're just not there um and that was just in a in a county jail you know i can't even imagine what it would be like um in a larger prison you know i'm sure those resources are even more limited because it actually blew my mind that you said You've never received counseling there. Right. Yeah. Let me be a little bit more specific on that. Now, before, when I was awaiting trial, they sent me to this place. They call forensics, right? It's it's a health place for an evaluation. Now, I talked 
to a, you know, a team of doctors then twice, and they prescribed me Elevil. They ended up taking me off of Elevil because it made my nose bleed. But other than that, I have never, mm-hmm. ever had a conversation with anybody in the institute in the in the Department of Corrections about my mental health status or anything like that, ever. So like and no individual therapy, mm-hmm. no, no no last treatment. No, I'm not even asked about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But, but let me address what you said about the resources, right? I agree with everything that you said, and, and I do understand the resources are limited. But I think it's more so than the resources being limited. It's, it's how they, you know, it's about the priorities, right? As uh-huh. far as, because uh-huh. you have, like right now, I'm going to describe what's going on in this unit right now, where I'm at. We got people downstairs playing dominoes in space. We got people upstairs playing some kind of Dungeons and Dragons game, right? Nobody is in here. We got the officer at the desk, right? Right now, we could be having a group there. Right now. Mm-hmm. Nothing going on. Nothing going on. We're not at work. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The, and, 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 but they're not, they don't do that kind of stuff. They don't yeah. do that kind of stuff. And then during, during the week, it's the same way. Half of the people work on first shift. The other half work second shift. So it's not impossible to be able to alternate and have counseling sessions going on twice a day if they wanted it. Uh-huh. If they wanted it. But they, that's, that's not, it's not the priority. And I get that. And then right. you got this separate building for mental health that's up the hill on the other side of the compound. They got people in there that all day, every day, 25 a day, seven days a week. So they got that covered. It's just that the people in general population that have the type of issues that we were discussing a few minutes ago, it's kind of like, well, look, y'all will be okay deal with it. But we're the ones that are coming in and out of prison, keeping the recidivism rate high. Mm -hmm. And you have to know, I I refuse to be one of those people that says, well, they just don't know how bad it is. I'm just not buying it anymore. I think they do know how bad it is. It's just they decided not to deal with it. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't want to be cynical and say, well, you know, the prison pipeline, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I well, believe that's, that's, that's what it is, though. I that's believe that's what it is, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, yeah, people Absolutely. get tired of hearing that, but that's fact. That yeah. is fact. And and if they dealt with us in a different way, I, I do believe they could knock a dent in it. I'm talking about a big hole in it because uh-huh. most of us are like what I said earlier. Most of us are like that Empire Star. We're not like the you know, the more severe cases. And mm-hmm. you just shouldn't ignore that. I, I don't think you should ignore that. But, right. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I, when you mentioned the priorities, that really, um, like, you know, struck something in me because we had a situation um, at the jail where I worked at where I guess the county were, doing, were having budget cuts. And um, the way it worked at this particular jail was that there was a a mental health, uh, community mental health center that had a government contract with the jail to provide mental health services to, you know, the people who were incarcerated. And so this contract, you know, they would renew this contract. This contract had been in place for over 15, 20 years. Well, due to COVID and, you know, People, you know, quitting their jobs, you know, officers quitting, you know, everyone was understaffed and budget cuts and everything. They Mm -hmm. decided to cut mental health first. So I went into work one day, ready to see my list of clients. 
and have therapy. And I was told you need to clean out your office because we no longer have the capacity for you anymore. And so all of the people that I I have been working here for about two years and I have been seeing some clients regularly for two years out of nowhere. I could not terminate with them. I could not talk to them to tell them what was happening. You know, from that day forward, individual counseling was no longer an option at this jail. And so, like you said, priority. Um, Budget cuts, and they decided mental health was the first thing that they wanted to go. And at the time, I was working here as an intern, so they weren't paying me. You know, I I was... They weren't paying me. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, it's very real. It's the priority. It and is, I agree. It's right. I agree if if it was approached very differently um, and if officers and other jail staff and prison staff were trained on mental health and human development and how to mm-hmm. speak to people, um, mm-hmm. the experience would be completely different. But, it you know, would. unfortunately, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's not. And, and and to go further, what they do is they 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 try to describe our behavior as criminal behavior. You know what I'm saying? And say that you know, just take somebody with like a personality disorder that lives in that world of you know that reality that they you know they've come up with, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They'll describe that as manipulation and conning. Not taking into account that this person is suffering from something. You know what I'm saying? Right. And they won't deal with that. They, yeah, they just call them a conners. Convict, you just that, the third, go ahead on and, and tell all the people that they train to work here, you can't trust them. You, they manipulate, they lie, they this, this, that, that. Not even taking into consideration that this person is suffering from a mental issue. Mm-hmm. Just because they're able to function, they're able to get up and go into the trash and go to work whatever job they have assigned for us because we can carry out that particular function we don't need any help and that makes no sense it makes no sense and that's why people in here on, on what i call blue side and when i'm dealing with the police i say that's the gray side but people uh-huh. on the blue side there, there is no trust there's no trust because like it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that something is off that's why you have a, a high percentage of people in prison that are using drugs. Mm-hmm. Self-medicated. Mm-hmm. We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. It's like, well, I ain't gonna get no help from them, so I gotta do something. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And, but we don't know what to do. And then, now that's what I wanted to get into before we okay. end. Is what, if anything, and I understand what you were saying, that there is no medication for like narcissism or, you know, uh, what you say, the personality disorders and things mm-hmm. like that. So for those people in general population, what, if anything, can we do for ourselves? Yeah. And that's that's a a great question. And I feel like, um, you know, even outside of the incarcerated population, I feel like trying to figure out how to cope and manage Mm -hmm. mental health is difficult in itself, right? Because yeah. most people, you know, uh, in jail or prison who are dealing with mental health issues, these are issues that they've dealt with long before they've mm-hmm. entered this facility, right? And right. so, like, right. one, I think the first step starts with us trying to break down this stigma just about mental health in general, 
right? And yeah. getting to a place where um, we can acknowledge that, you know, this feeling that I'm having or experiencing, this is depression or this is anxiety or this is PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think it's like really just coming into awareness of what are these things that I'm experiencing and feeling. And then mm-hmm. I don't know what type of, of resources you have access to. Because um, mm-hmm. from just from talking to you, it sounds like you kind of researched mental health a lot already. Do you like? Do you have resources? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have, yeah, I have, yeah, I have. Definitely utilizing resources to kind of you know find coping skills and ways to you know. I, I just really hate that <laughs> you guys don't. You have one minute remaining. Hold on a second. I'm going to get right back we, so we can wrap it up and keep talking about this, okay? Okay. All right.